Canuck Central Monday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah with you. Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service and friendly advice waiting for you at gripauto.ca. Another big win over the weekend. The Canucks sweep the Leafs for the year. And everybody's talking around town as if they're Jim Mora. Playoffs? It's possible. Canucks are in the race. Still unlikely. Feels like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like a, it's like a ladder. Yes. You know, one of those, like, extended ladders, and every time you get up, like, halfway through, it, like, crumbles back down somehow, (laughs) because every time the Canucks are off for a day, like, teams are climbing back further ahead, uh, and they're just, uh, they're looking at the stand-ins and saying, man, we really can't afford any losses. It's like walking in the opposite direction of the escalator. (laughs) Like, you're really not moving. (laughs) But but they are, though. I mean, it's like, you speed up a little bit, and it's harder, but you're incrementally getting up. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what uh, Boudreaux was getting to. It's like, it's only a point a week, but you're not losing ground, and yeah. you're slowly gaining a bit of ground, right? And it's, and it's always been unlikely, but it was never going to be, hey, we cut this deficit in a few weeks, and we're right back there. It's, there has to be this prolonged kind of process to be able to get into the playoffs. And, hey, when you win at a 8 out of 10, yeah. you put yourself back in the conversation again. They needed another stretch. We said, hey, early on, they had that incredible you know, seven-game winning streak and unbeaten in nine or whatever, 10 or whatever it was. And now they put a similar streak like that together again, where they've won 8 out of 10. And when you do that all of a sudden, it gets you back into the conversation. 20 wins in 32 games overall under Bruce Boudreaux. I'd say that's pretty good, and it just really illustrates how far behind they were at the start of the season. No Canucks fan is ever going to say it's still early. No. (laughs) After this season, it's going to be you lose five games in October, you'll be like, it's not early. they got to make up this ground now. (laughs) It's not early anymore. Remember those conversations? Somebody's like, they're not going to win 20 games. Yeah. Was that? They're not going to win 15 games. It's like, yeah. okay, well, they got 22 regulation overtime <laughs> wins now. So, yeah. <laughs> up they, to 28. They, it's, uh, it's, it's really hard not to win 30 games in the NHL. Like, it really is. Like, even the Montreal Canadiens at this stage, I mean, they hadn't won anything, and now they're at 15 wins. Yeah, most teams uh, end up getting to around the 70 point mark, right? There's yeah. maybe a couple of teams a year that don't reach that plateau in the National Hockey League. So, you know. <sighs> I'm still kind of coming down from from Saturday, Sat, and you know, we we talked about it on the post game, but I kept hearing the narrative perpetuate through Sunday and even into the morning on Twitter. And you know, usually part of my morning routine, I'm grabbing the spro, got the macchinetto going, so the ho- the, the the house smells mm-hmm. like a nice little espresso, and uh, it, it, everything's good in the morning. Uh, and I flip on, uh, I flip on the smart speaker. I'm like, you know, play Sportsnet 650. Hey there, and uh, right in time for Merrick and, and Friedman's hit. And Merrick's like, you know, goaltending the story again as uh, Vancouver beats Toronto. And I get it's part of the story, but this whole like narrative, like the goaltending is the story, maybe because the Leafs aren't getting it right now, but. I don't know. I just feel like this goaltending narrative right now for the Vancouver Canucks, not to diminish what Thatcher Demko is and what he's doing and has done this season, but I feel like the goaltending narrative is overblown. It is 
to some degree, right? It, it, it comes to the extremes. In the extreme notion of all this team has is goaltending. That's the only reason they have any any sort, sort of success. Yes, that is a bit overrated because that does dismiss what a guy like Quinn Hughes has been doing this season. and does yeah. dismiss a lot of the talented players on this team. And it's not like this is a team that had nothing and all of a sudden is just relying on great goaltending. Even if you go back to that... 0607 or oh yeah 0607 Canucks team in Luongo's first year and everybody said that team was just goaltending was just goaltending well they still had some some pieces that that were there long term after a while right mm-hmm. they had they had Kevin Bieksa on the back end they yeah. had you know uh young Alex Edler who was coming into his own but hadn't you know yet been been able to carve a role out for himself but they had some pieces on that team they had Daniel Sedin they had Henrik Sedin they had Yannick Hansen who played for them in the postseason that year they had Mason Raymond Ryan Kessler Alex Burrows you I mean they had a lot of those players on that team and if that was just goaltending how did they become a Stanley Cup contender in a few years they added on top of the core so to me it's kind of similar to that team although those clubs are somewhat different comparatively speaking but I do think there are a lot of similarities between this team and that team from that era and that should tell you it's more than just goaltending but clearly the real backbone of this team has been between the pipes there's a couple of things here you know like Thatcher Demko was great early on in the season it it didn't matter right uh, they they still couldn't win hockey games no matter how good mm-hmm. their goaltending was. The goaltending has been a constant all year. Like Thatcher Demko's play has not really dipped almost at all at any point this year. And it's incredibly impressive. And pretty much any other year he'd really have a conversation for the Vesna, but... You know, this is a different year where the guy who's going to win the Vesna is also up for the potential Hart Trophy. Mm-hmm. So, Igor Shosturkin, it's his to lose right now, as we know. But the reason I think it's it's overblown, well, yes, you know, looking at Saturday specifically, the Canucks were better team in the first period, the better team to start that third period, and then to close it out, Demko was incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, I use the analogy Demko played the role of Tom Hankey, the yes. Terminator, uh, to close out that game yes. in the ninth inning after, you know, the team handed him the lead, handed him the ball in the ninth, and like, hey, go close this out for us. And they needed him to because yes. they were really under siege in those final few minutes. But for the most part, the way that game went, it was pretty even always around. Mm-hmm. And I think of where they've been since the start of the All-Star break or coming out of the All-Star break, they're winning a bunch of games, eight of their last ten, as you mentioned, Sat, and yet it's not goaltending that's always the story because their save percentage right now is pretty much middle of the pack since the start, since the end of the All-Star break. Since they came out of the All-Star break, it's just 89 Mm -hmm. in all situations, and that's uh, 12th lowest in the league. So they're actually a little bit below the median in the NHL. It's not to diminish Thatcher Demko's play. It's just to say it's not all goaltending right now. Well, you don't get on this run again if it's just goaltending. You're right. I mean, in in some of those games, too, there were a couple of blowouts, right? It was the... um... Uh, there's the Halak's last start is in that game. Demko had a tough one too. So there are a couple of games where, you know, they skew the numbers to some degree. But what are the things we've talked about, especially the recent games and how they played? The Islanders' performance and especially the game they played against yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs. 
you had a good process, right? Yes, there are moments where, like you mentioned, the Leafs were taking over, but the Canucks started both those games really well. Against the Adlers, they were clearly the better team all game, played one of the most complete games all season. Yeah. And we talked about how the team game was strong. Again, Thatcher Demko in that game made a number of remarkable saves, and again, you could have made the case he was the first star with a number of great saves he made in that game, but there were so many great performances overall from that team. And against the Leafs, that first period, the Canucks were clearly the better team. They were outplaying the Leafs in a massive way. The second, it kind of tilted back a bit. But the start of the third for the first, what, 15, 12 minutes of that third period, the Canucks came out to close that game hard. They played really well. They took the lead back and they were able to salt it away. Now, they relied on Demko like you mentioned, but overall the process for you to be able to outplay Toronto for large stretches of a game, that's impressive at 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah. They were able to do that. So, you don't win that game unless you're able to generate that type of offense. And one of the things we talked about this team doing a lot better under Boudreaux with generating offense down low. You're starting to see that happen now. That Pearson, Miller, uh, and Besser line, it is crushing it's right legit, now. man. It is absolutely grinding teams down low and generating chances. So when you have a line that can get that type of zone time offensively, well, that creates havoc and a lot of pressure on the opposition. Plus, you're able to score and get some points. And it allows your team to not spend as much time on your own end, right? And the way Pedersen's coming alive, the way he's played in the last little bit, yeah, I mean, Thatcher Demko is this team's MVP. If we're making any 100%. sort of you know argument for who's the MVP, it is Thatcher Demko. But is the conversation unfair to some degree to the rest of the team for how they've been able to get themselves back in the race? That's, that's really all I'm saying here. You know, and, and there's a text coming in. Wait, are we dumping on Demko? No, nobody's <laughs> dumping on Demko, okay? <laughs> Why does it have to be? I, I, I sometimes it doesn't have to be like a. It's just a conversation. If anything, it's just crediting some of the players. And again, this isn't to say this is a great hockey team. That's yeah. you know you got to keep them all together and build around these guys and be buyers of the deadline. No, I mean they're flawed. They have things they have to make better. But you still have to analyze game by game and form and be fair to what we're seeing so far, right? And the, and the entire conversation has been big picture so much that just the conversation about what we're actually seeing gets, I think shadowed by that, right? I mean, yes. because your opinion on the Canucks having to make some sort of a trade or their flaw is also preventing you from actually seeing what's happening with the team at some times, right? Because you're like, well, no, this team is terrible defensively. And it's like, well, they have some issues defensively, but is it as bad as you think it is? Yeah. Of course, we, none of us disagree. You have to get another puck-moving defenseman. You have to shift some money out on that back end. It's not efficient. How much have we talked about that? But the reality is it's not as bad as people think it's been. And as far as the team's playing, just because they're flawed doesn't mean they're, doing a, they're not doing a good job right now. They're not, you know, or they should not be commended for what they're doing as a team. All these things can be true at the same time. I just think uh, there's a point. And uh, there was a listener that called in uh, to Thursday's postgame show after the Islander win. You can go back, listen to all of the postgame shows. Everything is on the podcast feed for Canuck Central. Subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it. But he said, I'm tired of Demko getting all the credit. And mm-hmm. to some extent, you know, Demko has earned that. You know, the last time they beat the Leafs, that was a Demko steal. Uh, the Ranger game, I thought the Canucks did play well, but as even Kevin Woodley pointed out on our show last week, that was a stolen game by Demko with the amount of high-danger saves he had to make. Yeah. That was a stolen game, and the Canucks definitely outgoalied their opponent on the day. 
So, yes, it is a big part of the storyline. Like, keys to the Canucks' success, number one is Thatcher Demko playing well. It's not a team that can overcome even average goaltending on, on a lot of nights. I get that. I'm not diminishing that fact. But my point is, lately, this team, the players on the team, haven't been getting enough credit for putting together and stringing together some solid performances. And first and foremost, that one, Saturday night against the Leafs. You know, they bullied the Leafs down low. They bullied the Leafs in front of the net. You want to talk about where you get your chances from and how you create your chances? The Canucks were low to high all game long, getting point shots and getting body position in front and creating havoc because the Leafs, are soft. It's yes. like they read the book. They heard Sheldon Keefe talking about his own team, calling them soft, <laughs> yeah. and they were like, we need to do this. And it's not like the Canucks are a overly aggressive, overly physical team, but they played that game on, on Saturday night, and it totally gave them huge chances against a goalie down on his confidence right now, and they were just all up in his grill, causing all sorts of trouble, and they converted on a lot of their chances because of it. Efforts there. And we talked about it, right? Okay, you're right. They're not going to out-physical a team, but they can be annoying as hell to play yes. against. You can get after guys, put pressure on them, forecheck them hard, get in their space, take their time and space away. And that's what the Canucks did in large parts of that game. So when a team plays with that type of effort, and they work as hard as they did overall, and they created a lot, yes, you should give them credit. And, you know, Amar asks, asks the question on Twitter, how many games have the Canucks won where Demko has been under 900 save percentage-wise? Five games they've won this season. Yeah. Where Demko has had a below 900 save percentage. Saturday was one of them. The last two wins. Yeah. Islanders and uh, the Leafs, they've been below 900. Now, save percentage is flawed because it doesn't show you how good he was and how many great saves he made. Degree of difficulty doesn't go into that, and that's why we you know, talk about clear sights analytics and how comprehensive their numbers are. But for the overall totality of this season, and for large parts of the season, though, this team has been very reliant on Thatcher Demko, right? Because there's been a lot of conversation about you know, traditional stats versus, you know, the adva- or, or uh, the traditional shot metrics, advanced yeah. stats that people have access to that are public data that everybody uses uh, right now and the proprietary data NHL teams have and their own formulas they have. Well, when you talk to different people, you hear different things from different teams and ClearSight's analytics is its own, you know, yeah. entity and they've outlined and Kevin Woodley talks to us about this every week on Wednesdays, that for the most part of the season, the Canucks have had a very bad environment as far as high danger chances and a lot of high chances off the rush and stuff like that. Now, during parts, they've done a good job cleaning that up. And I think recently, yeah. those last two games, for a lot, large part, I think they've done a lot of good things in, in that sense. But it does also point the overall picture that this team is heavily relying on Thatcher Demko. But even so, you probably should give the players and the coaches more credit for how the entire team has been playing recently. Because especially these last couple of games, they're impressive wins, especially when your team needs it as bad as they did. I mean, that was a tough road trip. Yeah. You're able to win the last two games after that embarrassing game in New Jersey. That deserves credit. They've had uh, some ugly losses lately. We know and we've talked about it. Um, you know, But Thursday, they played well against the Islanders. And Saturday, like their first period... Sat, their first period was near perfect. If not for the crazy breakdown on the Tavares goal, right? 
with the weird loose puck in the neutral zone that Hamannick tries to go and get, and then it ends up a power play three-on-one for the Leafs, which they easily bury by John Tavares. Like, the Canucks were cruising through that first. It almost felt like a game of runs, you know, like almost basketball style, where the Canucks were the dominant team for the first little bit, and then they gave and they seeded it back, and the Leafs went on a 10-0 run in the second, and then here come back the Canucks in the third uh, to retake the lead, and then they didn't relinquish it after that. You know, it had that kind of, like, big momentum swings and, like, sustained pressure for each team for a certain amount of time because, yeah, you know, the Canucks did give up chances in transition throughout to a certain extent, but never more than what happened in the second where the Leafs really turned it on. Well, they had the two two-on-one chances, yeah. right? And the Canucks were able to generate their own two-on-ones. Canucks had three two-on-ones, and, we, and they, didn't shoot, they shot the puck on each one. They didn't pass the puck once, right? And we talk about those chances that were generated. But, you know, it, it's... Hey, it, it doesn't mean this team doesn't have flaws and there aren't issues with how they play and how they Look, get better. There's a there's but, a texter coming in and saying you guys are drinking the Kool Aid. It was sure. a trash take. I mean, <laughs> sure. I mean, listen again. If you've made up your mind that this team is trash and that they're not going to make the playoffs and they need major changes, nothing you're going to see is going to be good enough. And yeah. even if it's and you're and listen. You might not be impressed by this and say this is not good enough. And it's not even to say, hey, this is a team that should be kept together. But the point is, they're back in the playoff race because they're doing some things right. And mm-hmm. we're talking about what things are you doing right. And one of the things that Boudreaux talked about was getting into better shape, right? And you, we saw the practice today where they had the guys working a bit harder again with skating drills and stuff like that. Conditioning is a big part of this. Why? You saw how heavily they pressed the Leafs. The reason the Leafs didn't generate a lot is because they didn't give them a lot of time and space. And that team is so good and talented that eventually they're going to lean on you at times. You can't play at that tempo for 60 full minutes, right? It's really hard for you to skate and be on top of guys the entire game. You'll have some lulls throughout the game. And that's where you see the separation between the talent. When you don't press a team like Toronto with all-out effort, they're going to be the vastly superior team. But if you play hard enough, if you work hard enough, and you play within your system, you can keep it close. That comes down to effort. But the thing is, there's a a skill gap. But how do you bridge that skill gap? By effort. That's what Mm -hmm. coaches talk about. It's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But simply what you watch that first period against Toronto is the difference of what effort makes. You can't win a cup on effort alone. You need more skill to get there. But when a team is working as hard as this team was, especially in that first period, and they take a lead, and they take control of the game, and they get themselves into the game, you should give those guys credit for how they played. And diminishing that, whether that's saying it's just goaltending or saying this team is trash anyways, they're not going anywhere, they're not making the playoffs anywhere, was it's being disingenuous to the analysis of what we're seeing in the moment. There's a couple of things happening here at the same time, you know. Look, the Canucks are playing a whole lot better. They're earning some of these victories, and I think they do deserve a lot of credit for a good team effort on Saturday. Um, it's, they're, they're not a perfect team. Nobody here is going to try and make that argument. And if you've been listening to the show for an extended period of time, you know that we don't think that either, right? And we've talked about how the changes could come about, when they will happen, um, Sat, you've been pretty steadfast in the thought that you know, my, uh, Tyler Mott may be the only one traded by the deadline and they'll play this out as long as it happens unless they get the big kind of deal. Yeah. But change is inevitable with this franchise and this organization. But 
at the same time, I'm looking at this and I'm seeing the way that they're playing. And I didn't just see a team that, you know, sat back and got shelled for 60 minutes against the Leafs and somehow figured out how to win Mm -hmm. like it was a couple of weeks ago at Rogers Arena. It was a far better performance than that. And I do wonder with some of the new setups, the Pearson, uh, Besser and Miller line that we talked about having so much success and even Pedersen, Garland, Hoglander, uh, the way they've been playing, it's very limited. Um, I think they've even been like less than 50 minutes together at five on five so far. But the numbers are really promising. And, and you know, maybe part of that is just, hey, Pedersen's kind of back. And so, you know, anybody you put him with yeah. almost is going to have some success and they're going to control a lot of play because Pedersen is back doing that kind of thing. Well, he, he's back to being a, being a driver on a line again, right? Yeah. And what's going to need to happen is what you outlined last week, and I thought it was a great point, Dan. It's when does he get the chance to do it with bigger minutes against bigger opponents? Yeah. When is he playing more of that critical role? Now, Pedersen was also out there late in some games to close it out with the empty net too, not just to get the goal, but to close games out. You've seen, seen him in critical part, points of the PK. So we're starting to see Boudreaux use him a bit more. But once you see Patterson kind of get into that number one role or like yeah. close to it role again with ice time playing 19 minutes a game, close to 20 minutes a game, that's when and he produces, you're like, okay, this guy's going to take you to the next level. We haven't seen Boudreaux use him to that level yet. And that's where they're going to have to get to, I think, to maintain this, right? Because yeah. what you're talking about here is playing at this level for the rest of the season. And what they've done so far is incredible, but you can't let up now. You still have no margin for error. Yeah. And that's why people talk about, hey, you have no chance. Well, you still have, it's a long shot and you're probably unlikely to make it in because you can't have a hiccup. Yeah. A three-game losing streak puts you out. You're yeah. in a spot now. You can only lose like eight or nine more games the rest of the season. You lose three in one spot. How all of a sudden do you avoid losing five or six? Or how do you avoid just losing five or six games down the stretch? And that's kind of the spot you want to avoid being in. That's why you can only really avoid. You can only really afford to have one loss at a time. So, one of the things that has changed quite a bit. And we're going to talk to Frank Saravalli about what he's hearing going into the trade deadline two weeks from today. It's coming up. But what's kind of interesting, Sad, and part of my overall feeling that, hey, this is not just on the goaltending. It's a big part of it, but not the entire part of it. Canucks, since the All-Star break, fourth in goals scored in the league. Tied for third, actually. 49 goals. Well, I mean, a seven-goal game, five-goal game, six-goal game. They start adding up a little bit. Has the offense finally kind of awoken from its early season slumber? Well, I mean, again, it comes back to, how, okay, how often did we say when things weren't going well, it comes back to Elias Pettersson? Yeah. Now that they're scoring more, it kind of comes back to Elias Pettersson. What's JT Miller doing? I mean, he's been on a heater himself, too. Let's not diminish JT Miller. The in this lineup feels like it has depth again. Right, but because Pettersson's going. Yeah. When you have two lines, two lines that can produce, yeah, you need more, but it puts you in the conversation. And, and again, there, there's so many different layers to look at mm-hmm. things, right? There's the conversation for the playoffs. There's a conversation for your division and your conference. Mm-hmm. There's a conversation for the Stanley Cup. There's a couple of rungs you're still yeah. below you're trying to get to. But having two lines, having a great goalie, and having one great defenseman and a couple of guys that have been all right, it puts you in the conversation. And all season long, we wondered, can this team get itself into the conversation? Why are they not in the conversation? Well, it's hard to be in the conversation when you have one real forward going in JT Miller, 
You have one defenseman producing in Quinn Hughes, and you have a goalie in Thatcher Demko, and everybody else is kind of with the malaise, and nobody's yeah. really believing in what they're doing. And we were just kind of, you know, jarred by what we saw earlier this season. And yeah, it, what it did was confirm uh, the worst fears or uh, the opinions of many that this team is absolutely garbage and not good enough, but they were never as bad as what you thought earlier this season. And again, they have a lot of things they can do better, and we'll see how long it can stay in this race. But the more they start winning, and the more some of these games do become more complete, and the scoring does come, and Pedersen gets better and better, like you mentioned, Dan, well, it gets interesting, doesn't it? Because did you really think that they were going to be able to win 8 out of 10 based on what we had saw during that stretch when we were like, well, outside of the first stretch, they've been a 500 hockey team. Yeah. And since then, they won 8 out of 10. So they've gone on another run, and they are going to need to continue it. They are uh, six points back of a top three spot in the Pacific Division, and uh, with teams like Dallas still winning, you know, the wild card is getting harder and harder to look at as well. So still a long way to go, but some things really are looking better for the Canucks. What does that mean for their plans ahead of the trade deadline? Well, let's talk to our insider, Frank Saravalli, next on Canucks Central. Canuck Central continues here on Sportsnet 650 and on your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it. Canuck Central presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Um, a lot of uh, reaction coming in on uh, the first bit of this hour. Uh, for Canuck Central. And just going through the different things that are working right now for the Canucks and still how tall a task it is to continue mm-hmm. their you know road or path to the playoffs. But right now, like, you've got a couple of things really going on this team. And it makes the trade deadline in two weeks that much more interesting, Sat. Uh, it absolutely does, right? And Again, it, it, when you are a two or three game winning streak from thing crystallized or th- losing streak from things, you know, being a lot harder on you, maybe then it becomes an easier easier for the organization. Listen, the math isn't easy. It's still going to be hard for them. But when you win eight out of ten, like I said, it makes it harder for the organization not to entertain the idea at the very least of letting this ride for a bit. Let's bring in our next guest. He joins us every Monday, Daily Faceoff Insider for us here on Sportsnet 650. It's Frank Saravalli. I heard you're, uh, you're big on the Canucks playoff chances. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Word travels fast in Vancouver, Frank. I'm, I'm, in, I'm into math. That's what I'm into. <laughs> it is. And, and frankly, by the way, the sort of like um, take the emotion out of it realistic look probably has to be the same thing that Vancouver's own front office is doing at this point. Is it not? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, like there's, you know, I I was just making the argument that, you know, the team is playing better than to just, you know, put all of their success on Thatcher Demko. But at the same time, like the team still needs Thatcher Demko quite a bit to have success. And we know that, 
you know, it's a team that's not a real contender. Even as good as they've played, do you still trust this team in a seven-game series should they get there against you know Colorado or Calgary after what we saw Saturday night? I mean, it's still a long way to go. I think what Jim Rutherford said on day one of you know like we we've got a we've got to take a little bit of a longer view here is still true today. No matter all of the wins that they've had since he got here. Yeah, and look, it's it's been really impressive like I don't think anyone's taking anything away from the turnaround that's that's happened Mm -hmm. but I would say if you take out that first stretch of wins really what you're left with is how this team has played since I don't know January 1st like 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 let's take out the initial bump that they got where they reeled off all those wins and the Canucks are 13 8 and 3 yeah that in and of itself, you know, if you were to play that pace over a full 82 games, probably makes them a playoff team. And and frankly, the fact that we're even having this discussion at all, given the discussions we were having in November, is kind of bananas to even think about. That's how well they played. So I'm not taking anything away from what Vancouver has accomplished. Yeah. But it it still just comes down to math in addition to the 30,000-foot view of, okay, well, even if they sneak in, what are they going to do? So so let's just boil it down to this, since I seem to have gotten ratioed um, <laughs> on social media since. Assuming, okay, so like I said, the Canucks are 13-8-3 since Jan 1. Yep. The Preds, probably the team they're chasing. You could maybe make an argument that it's Vegas. Either way, the Preds are 12-9-1 since January 1st. Assuming that both teams continue to play at the exact same pace that they've been playing at since January 1st, the Preds finished with 97 points, the Canucks finished with 92. If they both revert back to their season-long pace, which is Nashville at 600, Vancouver at 520-something, the Canucks are 10 points short. You can work up all the models you want if this last week did not do it to cement sort of where the Canucks are at at the moment. You go out east, you win three of four, and you come all the way back to Vancouver, and your situation has changed not at all. You've made up no ground. It's insanely hard to make up ground in the NHL. That's just a fact of life. That's where the Canucks are at at the moment. And I think that's where this discussion as we get closer to the deadline now two weeks away should be centering all around that as opposed to well you know they're kind of only four points out well and ultimately the thing is the team has always been looking at what the valuation of all their players are and what hasn't happened yet frank and we talked about this every single week is nobody stepped up to the valuation the question is how likely is it the Canucks valuations on their higher end guys that are available are actually met at the deadline? Well, I could see that happening. Like I could see the Canucks setting a price for JT Miller and the team meeting it as high as it may be. Like there's that teams are that interested in JT Miller. Do you want to be in the auction office services and to what end mm-hmm. with the team that you're building for next season? You know, I think Brock Besser is in a different category because unlike JT Miller, I don't think the Canucks are sold on Brock Besser in terms of being that player that's close to his qualifying number, let alone at it. So that's a different 
conversation. And then like those two things, both Besser and Miller can wait. Like the only guy you like, you talk about patience, you know, I take Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin at their word in that. The only guy they really need to make a decision on now is Tyler Mott. And to this point, they've made no decision. They really haven't even engaged in conversation with Tyler Mott's agent in a serious way about what an extension would look mm-hmm. like. So read into that what you will. What do you make of how patient they've been throughout this entire process? Well, I think it's smart because if someone were to suddenly beat your door down in these next 14 days and try and pry JT Miller out for you from you, then that's going to be an overpay and they end up in a fine spot. And if they keep JT Miller, they're in a equally fine spot because he's been a driver for your team and he's done everything you could have asked for and more. Brock Besser, like I said, different situation. Tyler Mott has value at the trade deadline, has value in the way that he plays, his ability to drive a bottom six line, um, you know, sort of be this energy um, playoff. I don't know if proven is the right word. He did have four goals in that run and, and really seemed to be, you know, Travis Green seemed to rely on him more than some other forwards that he had. But like they're in a like I, the way I view their patience and this deadline is they're in a no lose situation because the other part of it is let's say you hang on to those guys and you make no moves or aside from trading Mott because if there's no deal I can say this in no uncertain terms if Tyler Mott doesn't have an extension by March 20th he's going to be playing somewhere else on March 22nd that's a given they can't. This market has, has has seen that movie before. They don't need to see that movie again with pending unrestricted free agents walking for nothing in the summer. They that's just it's not gonna happen. So other than that, like then so what, you remain competitive to close out the season and you head into the summer feeling pretty good about where things are heading if you're a player on that team? Like, I don't see the lose in any of it. Yeah, it feels like it's it's not so much a matter of uh, wanting to stay in the playoff race by maybe holding on to some of these players. It's more just waiting for the best offer out there for the Canucks front office. Yeah, I honestly, I I don't know that it is even really playoff driven at this point. Right. I truly believe that league wide, it's been really quiet. Like. Super quiet. I'm, I'm having trouble coming up with new names for my trade targets for this <laughs> running tomorrow. Like, yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm beating people over the head with a with an old school phone, trying to get out information. It's just, yeah. I'm telling you from the managers I've spoken to in the last five days, their phones aren't ringing, and I think the reason for that is not because teams aren't interested, but it's multifaceted, multi-layered. One. This deadline period seems to have dragged on forever. Enough calls and enough homework has been done to the point where everyone knows who's on the block and who's available. Everyone knows what or has a general idea of what that player might cost, even though I think for some rental guys it's pretty fluid. And the other part of it is cap space. You know, the closer you get, that's 14 more days of of either bank space 
or 14 more days that that player chewed up on someone else's cap and it makes it easier to acquire, less expensive. So I think there's a lot of reasons why it's been slow. I'd expect it to pick up. Um, my guess is we'll have a trade, you know, before the end of this weekend coming up. But, you know, there's a lot of work to be done on all sides to really get this moving. I feel the the two teams, I think, that may step up to the plate, uh, prediction-wise, I guess, to, to maybe make that overpay to the Canucks or maybe to somebody else in a, in a big-time deadline deal. It's, it's Colorado in the West and probably the Rangers in the East. Do, do you get that same sense? I could see the Rangers for sure because, like, the conversations that I've had there, I, I truly believe their philosophy or – philosophy is not the right word, but their game plan to this point has been JT Miller, number one, and then like everyone else in the league, number six or seven (laughs) that they might be considering. That's how interested they are. Will it happen? I I, I still think it's way more unlikely than likely because I don't like for all the reasons we just outlined. Yeah. And Colorado, I really... Not to say, again, it can happen. I haven't heard Colorado and J.T. Miller that much. And No, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised about either, especially with how quiet things have been around J.T. and the Canucks, you know, not being that willing to move him quite yet. But uh, the one name that's come out is Bowen Byram out of Colorado. Is he actually a guy that you can see get moved? And the other part of that is because of his ongoing concussion issues, he's still a young player, but when you've gone through stuff like that, it does kind of, you know, worry some teams. Do you think teams are concerned, how concerned they are about that? But is he actually available? Well, I think you'd have to be pretty concerned about head injuries and just really the nature of how alarming, you know, it seems to have affected him. Like, you know, I think back to the stories and and I think Peter Ball has, has done a great job in The Athletic writing about them, you know, just coming home after a game and and walking into his condo, his mom was visiting and in town and like he opens the door and she's like, I could tell immediately something's not right. Yeah. That's like that type of stuff has to freak you out. I I personally don't, I personally don't think he's available. Um, I think he's a special, special player. And and look at the end of the day, if you're Colorado, you're going to move at heaven and earth to get a player that you really feel like, puts you over the, over the top. But for me, um, you know, if, if Bowen Byram is available, like how could you not? Like think of a lot of the players in this league. I, I think a, it's not just awareness, but I think treatment of concussions has improved so much um, that I think there's hope that this guy can rebound. Um, you know, think back to Sidney Crosby and knock on wood, like, we didn't know if this guy's career was going to continue. And he went on to, you know, to have all this success, you know, five years later, back-to-back consummate trophies. Like, it's possible. Um, and so there's there's certainly a lot of hope there. But I think at the same time, you'd have to, to be concerned. You know, if it were me and the opportunity to get Bo and Byram existed, I'd, you know, even with the head injuries, I'd be all over it. 
Because, I mean, the thing really around Vancouver is defensemen, right? And I can see Bowen Byram, if he's available, from one of their forwards, that would be interesting. And if you kind of look around the league, the the Red uh, the Rangers obviously have Braden Schneider and stuff like that, but so far they're not willing to move him. Keandre Miller, I mean, if one of those guys does become available, is that enough, you think, for the Canucks to be like, all right, like that's the type of defenseman we're willing to move a Besser or a, a JT Miller for potentially? I mean, probably. Like, why not? Like, there's so few of those guys that are true game changers to be able to get one. Why not? Um, That's sort of the way I look at it. You'd have to consider it, and you'd have to do all your due diligence in order to make something like that happen. Is that something that can happen that quickly? You know, you'd have to really, really feel comfortable about the injuries and where he's at um to make a move like that happen it's just it's not one of those things where like you know the gm says hey yeah i'll trade you bone byron like you need to dig in with your own doctors and get a chance to get eyes on him before doing something like that that's just how i see it so um there there would be a lot to happen in between now and then our uh our vegas and toronto like still kind of waiting to see how their situations play out with, you know, Mark Stone on LTIR for, for Vegas and, of course, Jake Muzzin with Toronto? I don't think that's what Vegas is waiting for. I think it's probably pretty nice to know that you have that in your back pocket. Yeah. And my guess is that they're going to use it. You know, there's been no pushback. The NHL to this point has raised no flags. Uh, and why would they? Like, the injury to Mark Stone is legitimate, you know, We've talked about previously how as soon as that imaging came through the first time back in October when the injury occurred, it was like, wow, did this guy's back explode? Like, it, it has been the real deal what he's been dealing with. There's no question about that. My question with Vegas when it comes to the deadline is, how's Robin Leonard's shoulder going to hold up? I reported a few weeks back, he has a torn labrum. And in fact, I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but he referred to me as Dr. Saravalli in his post-game <laughs> press conference. And uh, I, while I enjoyed having uh, two letters attached to my name in MD, the fact of the matter remains that Robin Leonard needs surgery. It may not be now. It may be after the season. He's going to try and battle through it. He missed a few weeks. He's been back. He's been fine, it seems. It, it has held up to this point. Don't know what they're doing for for rehab or for treatment. But the question is, will it? And for a team that's been all over the map, they've been like a roller coaster, and especially with injuries, are they willing to bet their roster that they've you know, now spent over the cap for on their goaltending if Robin Leonard's shoulder falls apart at the worst moment? And that's kind of the same question that the Toronto Maple Leafs are asking themselves at the moment, but it's not about an injury. It's about the play of Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic, which has fallen off a cliff. Are you willing to gamble the roster that you've assembled that to this point for most of the last three months, since December 7th, Jack Campbell has a sub-890 save percentage. It's been a while. <laughs> right. They've out, been able to outscore. He has a 10-5-2 record in that stretch. Think about that. Sub-890, 10-5-2 record. 
They've been able to outscore it, which tells you that there's something there, even though their defense has been a mess. Their second pair has been a hot, hot mess. What are they going to do with that group in a year where they know they need to experience some playoff success? And, oh, by the way, as you're making that calculus, you're likely staring down a first-round matchup with the Florida Panthers. And (laughs) if you win... You get the nice treat, likely, of facing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the second round. That sounds fun. Yeah. I that mean, sounds like a pretty unenvious position for Kyle Dubas to be in. It's a really tough spot, right? And it is compounded by, even if you make a goalie trade, it's so hard for goalies to fit in. It, it's it's one of those situations you really got to fix before your season. And one team that's, to me, really interesting right now is Pittsburgh Penguins. They've had probably a better season than they, than, than they envisioned, and they have some big UFAs mm-hmm. off, obviously, at the end of the season. There's some suggestions that things have been so good that maybe they don't do anything, but how active could you see Toronto, I mean, uh, the Penguins being, or is that something they may look to do more in the offseason? Not really active because they're in this spot where they're, they're definitely not giving up features to make their team better. They've, they've been through that. They've established that they're not going to do it. And that kind of leaves, okay, so what are our trade chips? And it's Kasperi Kapanen. He's the only guy on our trade targets board. You could go further down the list, maybe try and trade a Zach Aston Reese or trade a depth defenseman. I don't know that any of those guys are moving the needle. So you've got Kasperi Kapanen and who, by the way, Brian Burke kind of seemed to slag in a story today on The Athletic. Um, he's clearly available. What what happens there? And then other than that, it's like, well, we've got these pending UFAs in Rust, Malkin, and Latang, who were poor. If, if, if everything really breaks the Penguins' way, they're only going to be able to re-sign two of them. So who is part of the calculus in or out? And... Are you really just crossing your fingers saying, man, I hope we go on a deep run this year because this is our last hurrah. This is like, you know, I wish there was a camera crew following him around. It's like the Sidney Crosby, Michael Jordan version of the last dance because that's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dr. Sarah Valley, we really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Uh, there he is, Frank Saravalli, also uh, known by Robin Leonard as Dr. Dr. Cerevalli coming through again with the the diagnosis right off the bat. So the biggest takeaway uh, that, and we've talked about this, seems like for weeks, Sat, because we have. (laughs) We talked about a lot of things for a lot of time. The most likely player to get moved has and always has been Tyler Mott because of his status as an unrestricted free agent. Mm -hmm. And certainly with the way the team has played, it's only... You know, I feel like it's only really gotten the front office more emboldened to sit back and wait for the big offer or whatever they deem to be the right offer to really move off of any of their bigger pieces. The biggest key, you're right, the biggest key of what Frank mentioned, no substantive contract talks yet. Yeah. And hey, a contract can get figured out with one phone call. Right. Mm -hmm. If you give the number that the player wants and you're ready to meet it. But does that not speak to something? You're being a bit patient. Does that 
if you haven't had con- real, if you're not having substantive, substantive, substantive contract talks when you're two weeks out of the trade deadline, yeah, there's not a, a lot of urgency to get something done deal wise. It doesn't seem that way at least, and we'll see kind of what happens here. So I think it's yeah, kind of sit back here, don't do too much, and maybe once you have something concrete that you might be willing to consider. Maybe then you think of a number and then you go to, or you, they probably have a number already. Like there has to be a number because you go through all these scenarios as a front office. I'm sure they have a number internally that's, they, that, that they tell themselves, if, and, if we are to sign him, this is a number we would be willing to give him, whatever that is. Now, maybe the equation doesn't open up for them to have the cap space to sign it, but there has to be a number. So maybe it's a situation where they have a number in mind and they're going to present that to him once they get an offer they really like and be like, hey, we have an offer. We're going to do this maybe. Yeah. Here's a day or two or whatever. Think about it yeah. and let us know what you want to do. Or you just make the move when you ever get the valuation. But the fact they haven't had contract talks tells me it's either you're moving him or there's a price you would sign him to and you're not going to BS with him and you're going to present that to him when the time is right. Yeah. And closer to the deadline means Mott is... Uh or Mott's camp, would be forced into making a decision quicker on that less time for negotiating. But if you've set your number, and look, all due respect to Mott and what he's been as a player here, he is a bottom six forward. You know, you only have so many dollars to allocate to that area of your roster. It's uh, it's an interesting conundrum, but as you heard Frank Saravalli say, if, Frank, uh, if Tyler Mott doesn't have a new contract, uh, he will be with a new team beyond this year's trade deadline and uh, there's no reason to not believe that it's also something we've talked about here on Canucks Central Ian McIntyre will join us we'll dissect a little bit of that and more as Canucks Central continues on Sportsnet 650